0: This is the show that pulls back the industry curtain. We're exploring pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show, and he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins.
1: It's the Jeremiah Show and Evolve Entertainment, featuring its radio with TV's Tim Stack, Mike Gormley presents music icons, The Arwen Lewis Show, and The Angel Baby Show. Jeremiah's show. Why do rock stars fascinate us so much? Dr. D? I don't know. The press release reads, there have been innumerable rock star biographies and music histories before, but there is no book that presents the deepest, innermost thoughts for some of the industry's most legendary artists on how they work what drives them and what made them choose a life devoted to music? Okay, that's how it, that's how it starts. I'm, I'm intrigued already just by the press release. I haven't even read the novel yet. In a major rewriting of her first book, Musicians in Tune, 75 contemporary musicians discuss the creative process. Jenny Boyd, who has lived at the heart of the world of rock and roll since the 1960s, has compiled a Bible of rock royalty that provides an intimate insight into how the world's greatest rock stars, musicians, and producers created and delivered some of their greatest music. All right, I bet you can't wait to, re- wait to read the book now, right? Who wants a coffee? <laughs> In addition to all of that, here are some amazing fun facts that I know about Jenny Boyd. Jenny has a PhD in psychology. She spent many years running an addiction treatment center in England. She is a former 60s model. She's the younger sister of Patty Boyd, who was married to George Harrison and Eric Clapton. And Jenny married the great Mick Fleetwood twice. <laughs> That's the punchline. He was so great, she'd married him twice. <laughs> Jenny even inspired Donovan and Mick Jagger to write songs about her, including Donovan's famous hit Jennifer Jupiter, which Juniper, excuse me, which we will play on the show here today. She traveled to India with the Beatles to visit the controversial Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Jenny was there. She was there at so many pivotal moments in music history, from the creation of the Beatles White Album to being in the studio while Fleetwood Mac recorded the album Rumors. Jenny has traveled all of the way from London to Santa Barbara to talk about her life amongst her friends, the icons of rock, and maybe let us live vicariously through her just a little bit today. Hi, welcome,
2: Jenny. Hi, welcome, Jeremiah.
1: <laughs> welcome back to Santa Barbara.
2: I love being in Santa Barbara. Isn't it great? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's
1: just, you can't have a bad day in Santa Barbara. No. It's beautiful. No. How You come quite often, right? You have friends here?
2: I have friends here. Um, yeah. Between here and Ojai. And then I have to go back to England for the wonderful winter <laughs> but you don't see the sun anymore for about four months
1: so get as much as you yes. can here yeah but you can take that jar and put some sunshine in it take it home with you mm. <laughs> okay so i want to talk about this book fascinating your, your first book musicians in tune was is is was called the bible really it was a bible of rock stars musicians and really you got to know them and and in, in a way in ways no other writers you know, have, have that access and, and you had a really unique perspective. And you, at that time you create, you, you work through um, their creative process with them, right? Mm-hmm. In, throughout interviews. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 1992, is that
2: Nineteen-d- right? Well, it came out in 1992. I started the interviews in 1988 to 1990. So it was a two year mm-hmm. space. And uh, originally it was a PhD dissertation, okay. and I chose it on um, creativity and the spiritual link. Um, I started off with the music fact, you know, like uh, George Harrison and Eric Clapton, and of course, <laughs> and at that time, <clears throat> excuse me, I was married to drummer Ian Wallace, and he was on the road with uh, Don Henley and uh, Crosby Stills and Nash, Bonnie Raitt. Uh, he was on with Dylan. I did ask Dylan if I could interview him, but he said no. But when the book came out, I noticed he'd actually earmarked quite a few pages, and wished I wished, yeah, and I wished I'd kept that book. Mm. Um, but then, uh, and then, you know, I I had I managed to do forty interviews, and the most extraordinary thing that happened was that I only needed to think of somebody like, say, Ravi Shankar, who I'd met in India with Patty and George, uh, when we toured with him in South India. And someone would just happen to say, oh, did you know Ravi's staying in Santa Monica? You know, and so I'd interview him or, but that was happening all the time. So when I realized I'd got something that really felt pretty amazing, Mm -hmm. I found myself an agent who then um, found a publisher, uh, Simon and Schuster, and um, they wanted 40 more interviews. So that's when I managed to get B.B. King, Um, you know, all these other- So at that
1: time, then you must if I'm doing my math right, had about 35?
2: Uh, had Already? well we had forty to begin with, then I had yeah, thirty-five to begin with, 70, and then forty. Uh, nope. And um and that My was math, right? <laughs> uh forty, fifty, sixty. Yeah, that's right. Well and that's a lot of that's a lot. The big
1: names. the big names. Yeah. Big yeah, names.
2: yeah. And uh, and it was amazing, great um, you know, jazz musicians. Ice T was one of them as well. Not a jazz, but you know, Ice T, the rapper, there's um as I said, Ravi, there were all the blues guys, you know, John mm-hmm. Lee Hooker and all of those. Or, you know, there were just so many. And um, to me, that was the most fun piece of the whole thing was interviewing them.
1: You enjoy interviewing I loved
2: people. interviewing them because Is we really got deep. And because I had um, just got a master's in counseling psychology, I knew when to shush. You know, when there'd be a little bit of a pause when normally you'd come in. I let it go for a bit then they'd go deeper and um, it was it was great and they all said how much they loved the interview because you know it's not like what did you have for breakfast you know it Mm -hmm. was definitely it was um, you know thought-provoking stuff and one of the questions I asked them was um, about peak experience but there was coined uh, the phrase was coined by Abraham Maslow um, in the 50s about what it feels like when actually you're in the zone. That's what we call it nowadays, and they'd never talked about that before. Mm. Eric Clapton even said he thought he was the only one that had ever experienced that, and it was a tricky thing because it's like you never talk about the muse, you know, because right. it's so delicate. You don't want to sort of, um, you know, shush it away. So, and they all talked about that.
1: Mm. You are the muse, are you? Delicate? For some,
2: <laughs> 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 I've heard
1: you're the muse. Yeah. That's interesting, and the the what was the thesis about creativity? What did you call it? How you you actually wanted to go, the the creativity? How did you put it at the beginning? Well, the originally
2: creati- the creative and the spiritual link. There you go. Because the whole thing about the peak experience is when it feels like the 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 words are just coming through them, or yeah. if they're on stage. I think it was Graham Nash that said Crosby, Stills, and Nash were playing on stage. And they all played the wrong verse at the same time because everybody gets connected.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: if they're writing, they just lyrics come from they don't know where, but they feel it's not me. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I felt that they all had in common was this sense of humility because of that. It wasn't sort of ego. You know, that doesn't get in the way there. these musicians anyway, and I'm probably, you know, everybody that's doing something that's creative. Often it feels like it's coming through you.
1: Right. Traveling through them. Mm. What themes do you explore and icons of rock in their own words? How do you, how did you revisit these artists and and where do you,
2: all right? Well, the difference between say musicians in tune, where I um, had it under chapter so like their nurturing where they nurtured um, the drive to create what gives the drive and I would talk about that first and then I would bring in little parts of the interviews that actually coincide with say the drive mm-hmm. or it could be drugs and alcohol. But it was all under chapters, and I would take out little bits of the interviews. The thing with Icons of Rock is that after doing all these interviews, and I had them all on cassette tapes in those days, and um, then I um, was very conscious that they had trusted me with their interviews, that I must really keep these safe. So while I was living in L.A. for the last few years before moving back to England after the book, I put them in the bank vault. When I got to England, I'd put them in drawers and lock the drawer or, you know, they were just I just guarded them with my life. And then after about 25 years, I thought, what am I doing dragging these cassettes around with me? Mm. And I was nervous to actually get it made into um, digital mp 3 because I thought, I've got gold dust here, yeah. you know. I can't just, before you know it, it, would be everywhere. So I destroyed them. And it's a terrible thing to admit. But not all of them. I kept back eight. And the eight that I kept back, and I don't know why I chose these people, because I was in this madness, were um, Joni Mitchell, her interview, George Harrison, Ringo, Don Henley, uh, jazz drummer Tony Williams, Graham Nash, Ravi Shankar. And Eric Clapton so I then had those a friend of mine said um, "Oh, I can put them into um, MP3 and uh, so then I kept those in a drawer for many years thinking not quite sure why I'm keeping <laughs> these <laughs> and then when I was asked to redo this I thought I know why I'm keeping these and I transcribed the whole interview of say Joni all of them that had never actually been heard before or read before wow. And so what I've done with this book, I do an introduction and then I just let them speak for themselves. So you've got the Joni Mitchell uh, interview out full and then you've got some of the other smaller interviews from the previous book. But instead of under chapters, you've got Keith Richards under Keith Richards. And so I just take out what was in the original book. But the other thing with this book is that I wanted to know what the difference is in their words, between the music world in uh, 1990, 1990 mm-hmm. compared to now. So, now, so yeah. then I interviewed a wonderful musician, they called him a genius, called Jacob Collier, and interviewed him, Atticus Ross, who's already had lots of Grammys from uh, you know, the film scores mm-hmm. he's done, um, uh, a, a writer called, um, songwriter called Egg White, done songs for Adele and lots of people. He's well known as a, a really good songwriter. And then somebody I know who I had sort of was in her singing group, uh, a woman called Sarah Warwick. And she was um, in the sort of 90s. She had lots of hits and sort of uh, rock and rolly stuff. And then she was actually had cancer three times and survived all three, changed how she used her music, and I have her there showing the um, healing power Mm. Of music. Wow. So it's pretty cool, you know, Very the whole thing and it's been such a joy doing it and the photographs of everybody in the book.
1: So n- these interviews and these tapes that you've transcribed, these stories yeah. as told by these rock icons in their own words, have never been really seen or read no. or heard no. by anyone before you until exactly, you did this. Exactly, except for the
2: bits, the s- small little bits that were put, that you put into were in the, the first original book. book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. It's, so it's like a, it's like discovering gold. Yeah. If you're you can, your favorite artist, you can really go right. back that no one no one's ever seen before. No. It's it, no. these private tapes that exactly. they did
2: with you. And they were done in, what, 1988. The one I did with George Harrison, he literally, I'm not sure if he might have been a little hungover, actually, because he talks about, you know, he's usually, he's, uh, it was a time where he was actually not doing an awful lot musically, but he said, and I asked him about drugs and alcohol, and then not, not these days, but he said, but sometimes it's fun to have a few beers, like last night when <laughs> we were playing, and that was the beginning of the Traveling Wilburys. Mm. And um, and so, you know, that was, yeah. we never knew that the Traveling Wilburys was going to be huge. Yeah.
1: It They're, was just
2: fun. They were having fun together.
1: So, how, how do you, what, I want to back up to, to the, your thesis you asked that question about and you're trying to find the, and pinpoint the creativity where it comes from how it comes to them these musicians and you feel a lot i'm sure you feel that as well as a writer mm-hmm. that creativity where does it come from you how do you get inspired to to put together these stories well uh, yeah. from them right but you you've got a theme under that's running through and you've that's you're right capture your questioning your personality, the way they react to you and respond, there's there's mm-hmm. something creatively ha- creatively happening mm-hmm. between you two. Mm-hmm. What did they first say? Is there an uh, is there an uh, like a, a common you know feeling or gr- or explanation for how creativity comes to them as musicians, or do they not know? I mean, w- w- what did you find okay, out? Okay,
2: well, I had a series of questions that I asked them all. But obviously, once the interview started, I'd go with them wherever they were mm-hmm. going. But there were things like what gives the drive to create. You mm-hmm. know? And I thought that was interesting. And I came from the place where I never felt I was creative. You know, I'd been around watching the Beatles um, write songs in India on the roof of our ashram, you know, on the roof of the bungalow in the ashram. And I'd seen all these wonderful musicians creating but I never felt creative. So I thought, well, I can't be the only one in the world that doesn't feel creative. So I'm going to find out how do, how do they pick? What, how is, what is creativity and what gets them going? So I got these questions and one of them was about the drive to create. The other one was, um, does anything come from, uh, any songs come from when they're s- asleep? just in their dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, So all these questions I asked them, and they would answer them all. But then I started to find there was some things that they all agreed upon. So all these 75 musicians, probably except for one, I think it was Stephen Bishop, had very nurturing parents or grandparents or the man down the street, as in the case of George Harrison. Um, So they had nurturing um they also say like graham nash said he knew because he used to sing harmonies when he was a kid at at school he knew they were going to be big he just had this feeling they had got something Mm -hmm. so a lot of them had this feeling that it was almost like a sense of destiny and of course all these musicians are not only creative but they're famous Mm -hmm. so it's like two lots of things um what else? They all had the sense of humility. I told you that, but I also asked them: Did they believe that everybody had the potential to be creative? And they all said yes. Um, and it might not necessarily be in music, you know. It might be in other other ways. But it is about self-expression, and it can be in any way. But how important it is to be using that to be creative. Mm-hmm. Because you know it brings joy and it brings a purpose of living and all these um, very important things.
1: You also, uh, I'm gonna try. I'm trying to find the um, the quote here that they, you know, the the time that time for all of you. Uh, okay, here well, I'm trying to find it. Well, let me take a break. I'm going to find that quote because it's really good, and I think it sums up what you're what you're saying here. And it's also interesting to me that they had nurturing that they all brought up in some way that they had nurturing family backgrounds and um, parents that encouraged them. I've, I've done so many interviews with musicians and that actually has come up really a lot so I wonder if you're on to something there yeah yeah Um, and then of course
2: you had the ones that their parents were musicians like say David Crosby and they would all get together around the fire and sing together or mm -hmm. Christine McPhee you know just uh yeah and those that had musicians as parents they got into it faster when they were younger than those actually had to had to find it out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Find their voice. Mm. All right. This is great. Great insight. Great talk. Jenny Boyd is my special guest today. Her new book is icons of rock in their own words. Pick up your copy. I'll uh, let you know where you can get it. You can go to jennyboy.com and get an autographed copy if if you'd like there. But also, it's available on Amazon UK right now and in the States in February, right? Yes, it will be that's available right. on yeah. Amazon. It's, it's thejennyboy.com.
2: You know, the the thejennyboy.com.
1: Yeah. Um, Amazon, I think you guys can all find that. Amazon UK. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Bonnier Books, right? Bonnier every book. Books. Every that's book right. matters. I love that. Yeah. Bonnierbooks.co.uk. And you're also going to be at beatles fest
2: i am in february beginning i think it's the first weekend in february
1: i got it right here it's the new york metro fest will take place the weekend because there's a london version right and then there's new york it will take place the weekend of february 9th to the 11th at the twa hotel at jfk airport it's celebrating their 50th anniversary of the beatles fest and 60 years since the Beatles first landed in America at JFK, I'm sure everybody remembers that crazy scene, right? It's The black <laughs> yeah, and white, and yeah. everybody going nuts. And Jenny Boy will be a guest speaker talking about her new book, Icons of Rock, in their own words. We'll be right back. And in fact, actually, before I let—did you cut me off, Richard? <laughs> before I, I've always got one more thing to say. Jenny Boy was my special guest. Back in season eight, it's episode three seventy seven. We're now on six hundred and thirty two, I think. So quite a while ago. And at that point, at that time, you were here to talk about uh, Jennifer Juniper. Your, your a last, journey like, beyond yeah, the muse. Yeah. That's right. And that was a great interview. So we're going to talk about the the music icons today Uh in your new uh book uh but if you want to learn more about jenny boyd i think we did a great interview there and talked about more of your your history and your your past life (laughs) incredible life we'll be right back with more with jenny boyd
0: from the noise and pace of city life in the cool, clear air of Rishikesh, North India, Pathy News reports from the meditation retreat of Maharishi Maharishi Yogi, the man who through transcendental meditation is currently bringing peace of mind to the Beatles. Flower-loving Yogi told reporters that his brand of peace of mind could only be truly appreciated by intelligent men of the world with rewarding activities and high incomes. Among his most valued disciples were the Beatles, top of the pop pupils. He did his best to keep them away from outsiders, but George had a way for us.
1: Like to watch? Subscribe to The Jeremiah Show on YouTube. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. I'm here with Jenny Boyd uh, and her sister, her daughter, Lucy, is here as well. But Lucy's not going to talk, she told me. <laughs> but welcome, Lucy, as well, to the studio. Jenny's in studio. Last time you were all the way over in London that we spoke, and I think it was during COVID. So it we were was, all trying was. to get used to Zoom and all yep. that together. Yeah. Yep. Um, we were talking about your new book before the break, Icons of Rock in Their Own Words by Jenny Boyd. And we were talking about the moment, the different the creativity at that time in rock and roll versus the difference now, and something that you're exploring a little bit in the book. Um, and you had mentioned at one time that that's that creativity, that energy, is what people wish they had now, that spirit of it, and living in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you were you mentioned you were shy. Yeah. Up, yeah. When, yeah. In the, when you were out. And these rock stars that you were out with, they weren't rock stars yet, right? But you were in this this whole scene. With well I was from well, right, right and Mick Fleet yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. I and mean, George Harris and the Beatles. Yeah. But you did did they know that they were going to be the Beatles that they know at that time? Well, no,
2: you see the Beatles had already, the Beatles were at their height because we're talking I think sort of like 1964 and I must have been about 16 maybe, about 16, maybe coming to 17. I was at school basically, high school. Um, So George I met and uh, they were obviously, the Beatles were huge, but when I first met George, he was so ordinary and he just seemed a little familiar Mm -hmm. Um, you know we'd seen his picture everywhere but he was just like a regular guy it was so nice you know and he'd come back to our house and we'd all have Sunday lunch together and you know that was great but um But I think with Mick, because we met when I was still at school and he used to watch me go to the local coffee bar Mm. in Notting Hill Gate, where he was staying with his sister in a band called The Shanes. And uh, he said, he told me years later... He'd said to himself when he saw me coming back after school, that's the girl I'm going to marry. (laughs) And um, anyway, so I met him then, and he was in the Band of the Shanes, but we got together before the whole Fleetwood Mac thing took off, and Mm -hmm. obviously that was when Peter Green was in the picture. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Richard destroying the studio, I
2: think. so yeah but you know i think Fleetwood Mac really became very big when we all moved to LA obviously and everybody knows the story you know with Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and suddenly it just took off mm-hmm. but i wasn't surprised because when i heard them rehearsing right at the very beginning i thought they've got something they really have and it was all to do with their harmonies because if you think of it the Beatles harmonies were what sort of really alerted everybody mm-hmm. there was just something about them that was just very
1: inspiring you could feel it you yeah could you could it. feel it yeah um well how do you prepare when you're interviewing a music icon how do you prepare i mean it's a, is are they different than us mere mortals
2: Well, when I interviewed, because with this book, we've got interviews done this year. Mm -hmm. So one of them was I was telling you about was Jacob Collier. And he said, you know, musicians are different kinds of people. They're not like normal people. And I think having lived with two different musicians, I think that's right. Because there's something um, that they have. I mean, I think musicians are wonderful. And I think, you know. I always think musicians are the kind of spokespeople of our time. And, um, yeah, they are different because, in a way, they, I think they go to different places than we do or anybody that's creative.
1: But they don't share that a lot, right? I mean, I know through radio interviews, Mm. I listen to a lot with musicians will come into town on tour, Mm. and there's like three of the same questions that, They get asked over and over, and it it almost feels numbing. And so what you've done differently, what you did from the beginning, I think, is come to them and let them come to them from a real spot, a real place, a real human being, and let them explain but it, took, it takes a little while, but it's in that silence that you mentioned. That's it's right. in that, I'm listening, and, yes. and they yeah. fill in the blanks.
2: That's right. You know, whether it was, what does music represent today? You know, um, what is it saying to the masses? Um, you know, because they are the spokespeople. I mean, I remember living in San Francisco for about six months, And um, I went there in 1967. I had no idea there was going to be flower power or anything like that. But the thing that struck me were the musicians. And I went to the Monterey Pop Festival. And, you know, they were just, um, it was all about music. Mm -hmm. And we'd all wait for the next Bob Dylan album or we'd all wait for the next Beatle album. It was huge. They were our spokespeople. They represented us. They represented this The collective unconscious,
1: and how you felt,
2: and how we felt, so they were like the spokespeople, and so in that, in those that day, I mean, I'm sure they are still today, but it was very much more pronounced then. I was Mm -hmm. very much more aware of it,
1: and there was so much turmoil in the world at that time as there is now, Mm -hmm. Uh, but but I but I could see that that the musician, when you say you're waiting for the album, you're waiting for. The opinions, the the viewpoints, the um, the passion, or just the the energy that they brought to you made you feel more alive.
2: Yeah, because they were speaking for us in yeah. a way. They were sort of so in tune that they got it, and then you would think that's it. They've you know that's exactly how I'm thinking, and you know so uh, it was different. I don't know if it's like that nowadays. Would,
1: do, I was going to ask: Is your life? I mean, do you feel? I feel the weight right now. It feels very heavy. It's very this world. heavy. It's very yeah, heavy. yeah. Where do you go now? F- to do you still need need that? What you got from the music from the musician now? No, in your life I think it point? was thing
2: because then I was what eighteen, mm-hmm. eighteen, nineteen, and so I was a lot younger. You know, I was still finding out about the world. I was still finding out who am I. You know, and then it was very much. Um, a lot of uh, the sort of the subculture you know we were all on a path to self-awareness or um, you know something much deeper thinking and uh, you know really we wasn't it hadn't been that long since the end of the second world war you yeah. know so there was a completely different time
1: right um, yeah the world was recovering but then also being pulled back exactly and to, yeah. to new things that yeah. were your generation mm-hmm. that you felt
2: mm.
0: Mm.
1: You wrote in the book, I couldn't help but feel enormously privileged to have had the opportunity to hear these musicians describe what it's like to play on stage in front of thousands or to write a song and not know where the words came from, to hear about the magic of the muse or to describe transcendence of self. Did you feel that transcendence when you were young and first discovered the music with your friends? Was it something you remember consciously feeling? Yeah,
2: but I think um, the interesting thing, because I felt I wasn't creative, actually, I do remember, because as a teenager, I would write poems, and often words would come from nowhere, but I never really took it seriously. So I think if one's doing anything that's creative, whether it's sculpting or anything, you do transcend, you know, you're kind of in the zone and, you know, time can go by and it might feel like just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: Do you, has that changed your, do you feel creative now? Do you feel like.
2: I mean, I, I wrote that Jennifer Juniper book and felt totally fine just going for it. Um, and when I was writing this book, the original one, Musicians in Tune, I definitely did. Mm-hmm. You know, things, words would come from nowhere. And I completely, um, I got what they were saying. And I knew when to, what question to ask next because I felt I was with them on their journey of mm-hmm. them trying to describe what it feels like to be creative. Probably questions they'd never been asked before.
1: Well, I know that you've been referred to as a muse probably all, a lot of your life, and I don't know how you feel about that. But have you ever stopped and th- and, and considered and, re- and thought, I got something different from these icons of rock that no one was a, not many, few, very few have have been able to capture there's a different relationship and you're almost a conduit to let it to, to the real person that's very complicated. Probably it doesn't trust a lot of people because of Mm -hmm. their status Mm -hmm. and has been burned and is cautious, but you, you're, you're something special that they have opened up to. Yes. And And I
2: think that's right in as much as they would know that, um, I knew the Beatles and then had been there in India. That Patty, my sister, was very much involved with them. So I'd been with Mick for many years, known him. So they knew I was in the music world as not a musician, but somebody who was aware of musicians and their lives. And then with Ian. But not only that, having I had that. So. I was one of not one of them because I'm not a musician, but I was somebody who'd lived with musicians. You know, when Fleetwood Mac, we were all living in the same house. You know, at one point, and but also um, having learnt, as I'd said before, um, you know, got my masters in counselling um, psychology in in, in counselling, and so I knew what it was like coming from that place, as well as there knowing that I was safe because mm-hmm. I was kind of, I'd been part of the scene. That's so a, that was a okay. gift.
1: Don't, do you agree that's a gift that you have? That it might be. It is, a, it's yeah. Because there are a lot of writers, there are a lot of right. people that have interviewed yeah. these, these big icons, yeah. but you got something different. And it's in the book. I want to encourage everybody to read Icons of Rock. Pick up your copy. Icons of rock in their words by my guest today, Jenny Boyd. You can find it uh, right now on Amazon UK. You can also go to the and you can get an autographed copy and reach Jenny there and follow all the great things she's doing. Icons of rock and their own words from Eric Clapton to Mick Fleetwood from Joni Mitchell to George Harrison icons of rock is an incredibly intimate portrait of the world's greatest rock stars and their craft we'll be right back
0: Jennifer, je n'ai pas lives upon
1: up will you there is a lot going on here subscribe and always be in the no crowd the jeremiah show my special guest today in studio from london she's in santa barbara icons of rock is the book it's icons of rock in their own words jenny boyd jenny Boyd, welcome back
2: thank you jeremiah
1: there are so many i mean you said it icons of rock in this book Mm -hmm. um and I don't say that lightly. I mean, it truly is. If you go through the chapters there, it's just you've talked to some amazing people and they've opened up to you and really shared what what drives them, what makes them mm-hmm. creative, where they find um, their music or, or, you know, their creativity. Joni Mitchell is, I, I think we can all admit, one pretty of amazing. Our favorites. Yeah, right? amazing. Uh, just just a really but but also i feel like i don't know a lot about her mm-hmm. Ooh, can you tell me a little bit about Joni yeah, Mitchell?
2: yeah well i was introduced to her by peter asher in must have been about 1988 1989 and it was great yeah sure you can you know Joni's fine with you interviewing her and i remember sitting on this little couch together And as I was watching her and I was really, really listening to her, her face seemed to change, you know. It just kind of became more like sort of Native American or it just, uh, and I wasn't on anything, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, she's just so expressive and she Mm. had all these amazing stories. But um, I was just thinking about one of the quotes that I love of hers, you know, when I was asking her about, uh, do we all have the potential to be creative? And she said, The net that you capture, creativity, is made up of the threads of your alertness. And I think that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's about like being in the moment. Right. Um, And so that was great. But it's they have to because they have to just read the book, actually, because she she um, talked for a long time about what it was like for her growing up in Canada where they were sort of sticks and stones people, you know, but she was the musician, um, or she was the artist. I think it was better if you were the artist. And, um, and then gradually, gradually, she managed to persuade her parents that she could have a piano or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever instrument she needed. And she just goes right from there all the way through, and also the synchronistic moments You know, I mean, she's pretty magical. Mm. And she says there's so so, just these synchronistic moments, things that would just happen without you trying and it would all come together. And she names quite a few of those for her, for her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she was um, she was just great. And um, how did you
1: how long did you get to talk to her?
2: I think it must have been probably about 40 minutes. Because when I was transcribing it, mind you, I don't type very fast. Mm -hmm. But as I'm doing it and, um, you know, rewinding, listening to what she says again, and I'm just so inspired, you know, and then I carry on typing a bit. And I hadn't listened to it, or probably once, since she did it all those years ago. So for me, unearthing these audios has been just the most inspiring thing. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm. Do you feel like the the trick to your trade to is, is listening listening to, to the person
2: listening yeah yeah
1: I think I agree with you it's I, I think we all look for reasons to talk but then mm-hmm. we don't we don't hear
2: mm-hmm.
1: what really happens and if you just stop yeah. and listen yeah you yeah know, you connect so much more with
2: the person. right yep Um. And then there would be some, say, like Ravi Shankar, that I asked him one question, but he just went pretty much the whole way. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting because it was, you know, a completely different take than any of the other musicians because it was the traditional Indian way Mm -hmm. of, you know, playing the sitar. And how that happened and what it was like for him when he found himself at the Monterey Pop Festival or, you know, um, the other one afterwards, uh, whatever that was called. And, um, and so different to the traditional way he had. And he left, made one stipulation was that he wanted, didn't want anybody before him or anyone after him. So I remember because I was there on that Sunday, he was pouring with rain as soon as Ravi came on the platform. It stopped, and you could hear a pin drop.
1: Wow! Uh. You've you've witnessed and been at so many magic moments in the music industry. Are you? Do you still? uh, It sounds like you're interviewing some new artists, but do you still stay? immersed in the music not i'm probably not as much not as before really, but do not you as much is it still a big part of yeah. your life
2: um music yes i love music cuz i love to dance mm-hmm. whether it's sort of just in our apartment in front of the dog or it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> I, I i love it it's part of <laughs>
1: she's she's a dancer <laughs> uh, Eyes closed. Eyes closed. Eyes closed. My um, mom does as well. I yeah. Know, <laughs> really? Oh, God. Why can't you watch You're your parents again. dance? I don't know.
2: <laughs> what is it? so embarrassing. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I had all those years where I was working in the addiction field, and that was pretty heavy. So I was very, very into that. And then it's only now in the last sort of maybe five years that I've stopped all that and thought, I'm writing. Because writing is what I love.
1: And why do you love writing so much? I have to I take a break. It? I know, Richard. But why, yeah. tell me why you love writing so much. Uh, because you're it's me writer. connecting with me. Yeah. You know,
2: Because we're out in the world and we're chatting and we're doing this and we're doing that. But writing connects me with me. And also you can get to that place where you leave yourself open to stuff coming through you that you're writing. And also it's my way of trying to understand certain things that I might be confused about. or mm-hmm. But, you know, I loved writing the memoir. That was amazing. Um, and I just loved rewriting this and reworking on this. You know, I only really just, the writing was really the introduction, but the joy of putting it together was just as you know, powerful.
1: So all this time you, you thought, yeah, I'm not creative, and you'd been around people, and people are asking, these famous people, and people ask, Wow, mm. that you're you're cool. But you're with these people. What are they like? But no, but now you're really discovering yourself. Yeah. It's a more. Yeah. Is that what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it. You're realizing how much you have to offer. Right. Yeah. Although you always did, obviously. But you don't know, do you? you when you're know. younger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jenny. Can you just, you're here till the 15th, right? Let's just, yeah. how many How many shows can we do until then?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Icons of Rock, in their own words, by Jenny Boyd. From Eric Clapton to Mick Fleetwood, from Joni Mitchell to George Harrison, Icons of Rock is an incredibly intimate portrait of the world's greatest rock stars and their craft. You can go to thejennyboyd.com and order an autographed copy or also ordered on Amazon UK and don't if you're in New York go to the Beatles Fest don't forget uh, Ginny will be a guest speaker talking about the new book Icons of Rock and Their Own Words and we will be right back Every time by advertising on the Jeremiah Show and get your message out on seven shows. We're always on the radio.
2: Hi, this is Jenny Boyd, and I have just finished a book called Icons of Rock in their own words. You can get a copy on Amazon UK and I am listening and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show.
1: Welcome back to The Jeremiah Show. Jenny Boyd is my special guest. Her book, if you're just joining us, is icons of rock in their own words. But you probably already know that because you've taken my advice and you've purchased your own copy, (laughs) haven't you? (laughs) You better do it now. Hi, Jenny. Welcome back. Thank Uh, you. One of the people that you've talked to that I'm fascinated by is uh, Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing person the whole, I think the whole band is, but what yeah. did you learn
2: from well, him? What I learned, well, I learned quite a lot from him. So that must have been 1988, 89. And um, one of the things that I found fascinating that stuck with me, and then I noticed other musicians were saying a similar thing, is the amount of material they get, whether it's a riff on their guitar or whether it's lyrics, um, in their sleep. And what they'll have to do, they hear it, and then they quickly, or it's usually, they'll have like pen and paper by their side or a little tape, and they have to write it down. Mm. Um, Otherwise, they forget. And I remember with Anthony, is that he said that happened to him like one night, There was seven times. Then he'd go back to sleep, and then there was something else. So he'd wake up, and he'd have to write that down as well. God, I'm exhausted. And then he'd go back to sleep again, and it happens. I think it was like six or seven times. And in the end, when he woke up the next day, he had this amazing song.
1: Did he have... Pieces, I pieces don't know. and pieces. That he added <laughs>
2: um, it was, he just said, you know, it's. So he's speaking to him yeah, in his sleep. Yeah, in his sleep. And another interesting one was um, somebody who said that actually that happened to them and they didn't, they couldn't be bothered to get up and write it down. And not long afterwards, or whether it was a rift, there was something. That they heard it in their head and not long afterwards they heard it someone else had actually picked it up and they'd made it into their oh, song so yes. what they were alluding to was it's all around you right. but you're like an antennae and you have to pick up what it is have and to if you you have to be aware that's right
1: yeah they're coming to you yeah. signals yeah and that's, i remember ronnie
2: wood saying you know he had this great these great lyrics and his wife then said to him oh don't bother and he thought, oh, God, should I, shouldn't I? And he didn't. And the next morning, he remembered it. And he said, I would have just hit her if I had. would <laughs> <laughs> have <I> bashed her. <laughs> but you know, a lot of them got their, um, you know, or synchronistic events, you mm-hmm. know, like Don Henley. Uh, what was it? Um, in one of the songs, it might have been Boys of Summer, the red, uh, redhead, redhead sticker on a Cadillac. Remember that?
0: Oh, a yeah, deadhead yeah, yeah. sticker on yeah, the Cadillac. Yeah.
2: That was in yeah. the cut ca- on the Cadillac. There was a deadhead sticker, line. and he was just looking for the last verse of that song, and there was this Cadillac in front of him with a deadhead sticker on it.
1: Mm. Yeah, stuff like that. Line. Yeah. Wow. Well, so there's, there's so many stories like this, and they're so interesting mm. about you know your favorite artists. The, this mm. is such a great book, Icons of Rock in Their Own Words. Jenny. Um, I I am so happy that you're here in Santa Barbara, that you came to the studio and shared this with us. Uh, where, is there a tour, like a book tour? Do you know, it, it's not in the United States until next February, right? right. But you can get it on Amazon yep. UK and also off of your website, yeah. the Ginny Boy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing but things that, you know, it's like tomorrow, Saturday I've got um An interview with the BBC. You know, there's things that are happening now because it just came out last Thursday in the UK. Um, And then, obviously, with it going to be coming out earlier next year, it's quite exciting because, you know, things are kind of happening pretty every few days. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, th- I'm so thankful that you're hearing this. you shared your creativity Thank and you, your Jim, insights.
2: Maya. It's really been and, fun. And your
1: stories. Yeah, yeah it's nice. And so yeah. nice to see you. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Lucy, for, for coming. Thank the entourage. <laughs> 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 okay, again, it's Icons of Rock, in their own words, by Jenny Boyd. You can get it on Amazon UK or expressbookshop.com or at thejennyboyd.com. Bonnier Books. Every book matters. You can go to bonnierbooks.co.uk. And on February 9th through the 11th, Jenny will be a guest speaker at the Beatles Fest. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary and the 60th anniversary since the Beatles first landed in America at JFK, the TWA Hotel, JFK Airport. Uh, communicate, but listen more and evolve. Everybody have a great day. Thank you, Jenny.
2: Thank you.
3: I was welcoming you to a very special edition of Ready, Steady, Go. For those of you who don't know this show, I might say that each week we invite all sorts of pop singers along here to Studio 9 in Kingsway, London, and uh, the crowd who come in get a chance to meet their stars close to. Well, each week we'd like to have a special look at fashion, so we'll kick off that way this week. First of all, hairstyles. They are long as always. And then hand styles, lots and lots of rings, shirt fronts, immaculately white with long collars and boots well the high heels the cuban heels are still there and of course our
0: four models are none other than the beatles Ice cream castles in the air, and feather canyons everywhere. I looked at clouds that way, but now they only block the sun.
2: They rain and they snow on everyone.
0: So many things I would have done But clouds guard in my way I've looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down And still somehow It's cloud illusions I recall I really don't know clouds At all Moons and dunes And fairy wheels The dizzy dancing way That you feel As every fairy tale comes for you I've looked at love that way but now it's just another show and you leave them laughing when you go and if you can don't let them know don't give yourself away Hi, this is comedian Mod Chobrani, And you are listening to The Jeremiah Show it, man Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify The Jeremiah Show Look for the Black Label As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll For letting us on the air at all Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve.
3: My name's Danny Dreho. Jeremiah, you're loved, Holmes. You're so cool.
1: You're so cool. You're so cool. (laughs)